Could you give up everything you've ever dreamed of for your faith? Bilkis Abdul Qadir did just that. In high school, Bilkis broke Rebecca Lobo's scoring record, setting the state record for the highest all-time high score for women and men, a record she still holds today. She was the first Muslim in a headscarf to play NCAA Division I basketball. In 2009, she was invited to a dinner celebrating Ramadan at the White House. And she was the first basketball player to fight the feeble ruling against wearing headgear. Throughout this four-year journey, we watch as Bill Keese moves forward in her faith and becomes an advocate for Muslim women, especially basketball players. We watch as she graduates from high school, begins her career, and gets married. All while maintaining her battle with FIBA. In the end, it's a bittersweet ruling as FIBA does lift the ban against headgear. But the question remains, will Bill Keese ever play ball again? Hi, I'm Heather Grayson writer, producer, and director who craves passion in filmmaking, and documentarians are just that. I write fiction, but I love to watch the truth. My name is B.C. Wayman. I'm an actor, a writer, an entertainer, all sorts of creative endeavors. But what I love most? Being a storyteller. It's why I love documentaries. They're extraordinary stories from everyday extraordinary people. This is Behind the Doc, and today we are behind the scenes with the documentary Life Without Basketball. Former Indiana State Lady Sycamore Bilkis Abdul Qadir would like to continue her basketball career overseas, but at the moment can't because of an unfamiliar rule. SportsSense Megan McEwen explains how Qadir is hoping to get this rule changed so she can continue to play. For the first time in her playing career, Bilkis Abdul Qadir has hit a roadblock. Basketball's governing body, FIBA, has ruled that bans players from wearing equipment that may cause injury to others, including headwear, hair accessories, and jewelry. All these years that I've played, you know, and I finally get to a point where I can get there and I get stopped. You know, I can say I, I've never really had any type of adversity like as big as this one. This is a recent example of how sports and religion do mix. My head covering is goes against their, their religious views that they, they want to keep the court or the games religiously neutral. If FIBA changes their rule, Bilkis would be able to play the game she loves and maintain her religious identity. We are excited today to be talking about the film Life Without Basketball, joined by the directors, the producers, Tim O'Donnell and John Mercer. Thanks so much for having us. We appreciate it. Before we get started, Tim and John, why don't you just, just tell us your name, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, I'm Tim O'Donnell, and lucky to be co-director and co-producer with John of Life Without Basketball. This is our second feature-length documentary. I went on to teach, and uh, John can tell you a little bit about his background and then how he, how he ended up syncing up. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, John. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, we, we went to middle school and high school together, and I don't have a film degree. You know, at some point after graduation, it seemed like uh, a direction that I was interested in. And I kind of interned my way into the field uh, and started working in post-production for a number of years. You know, Tim had gone through like a similar evolution and found filmmaking and documentary filmmaking. And um, yeah, I mean, grew up together, played sports together, and really, you know, reconnected all these years down the line And when we found ourselves working in the same industry. Excellent. Welcome, you guys. So glad to have you. Excited to dig into this film. And then when Bill Keese joins us, dig into that. So this will be fun. We watched it the other day. It's a great movie. And I'm excited to talk to you about it. All right. 
We're ready. <laughs> I loved how when we first started the film, we heard that basketball noise hitting the court. And then we get to her. It showed so much of what the film was going to be, but it showed her as a person. So I truly enjoyed that very first scene, and I just wanted to say that. I love to hear how you guys really first started to think about making this film and how was it to approach her? What were you thinking about and what did you want to show your audience? I think, uh, you know, me and John met Bill Keese and immediately fell in love with her, her family, and the Muslim culture. And I think one of the things early on me and John were really interested in was this idea of classic American blue-collar home in the Muslim community, which we don't get to see as much on a personal level. So, you know, there's Bill Keese's amazing story of battling the hijab rule, not being able to play, being covered, even though she played high school and college. At the pro level, you know, she was blocked from this kind of archaic rule. And that is a big, massive global story. But, you know... When you watch the film, you'll get to know her family, which is really important to her, and you'll start to see those kind of everyday moments, eating meals, praying together, uh, those quiet moments, uh, which we felt was really important for a lot of viewers to see. It took you like four years to kind of put this together. When you first started, what was your initial, I guess, vision for her story? Because I don't think you could have imagined, hey, we're going to do this for four more years and follow this case. And then at what point did you realize, oh, we're going to commit to this for a long time to tell a whole story? Yeah, you know, I, I think when you begin a project like this, you know, you, you never really know what the duration of it's going to be. You know, I, I think Tim and I, you know, found a little bit out about Bill Keese and, and her situation. It seemed like a really important story that was sort of being overlooked, and um, it seemed like it was really an important time to start telling it. When we first started filming with Bill Keese, uh, she had just ended her college career and was a few months after she had encountered the FIBA ruling that, you know, ultimately cost her her professional career. Coming out, you know, my senior year, and I went to the combine, I played in front of all these scouts, and. And I'm just like, Kesey, you might not be a pro. I prepared myself to kind of be put in a place where I might not play. And actually, I wasn't thinking it because I was Muslim. It was because maybe I'm not good enough. You know, it, it, we just kind of had to jump right in and start. And then, um, you know, the reality of fighting a, an international organization is that, you know, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of resources. You know, we're, we're kind of like investigating a little bit about what happens to individuals when they exit the world of a professional athlete, what happens to individuals when they encounter an inter international organization, and, you know, what, what's that process like? Um, you know, how, how, do you, how do you kind of, you know, how, how do you prepare yourself to, to take on that battle? And, and what's it like, you know, in the meantime where things really just aren't happening for you and you're, and you're standing by on the sidelines? Right now, I don't know who I am. I can comfortably say that because I was so used to being a basketball player. I want to be great. You know, I want to do something that can affect people still. And I think basketball always gave me that, that thing to affect people, you know? And um, it's just like, am I anybody without basketball? They start to reveal things to you and, and you just your your space is to really just sit back and 
and take that in and, you know, give them a little bit of room to tell you what's going on. And for every, you know, moment you're seeing in the film that sort of stands out, there's like, you know, at least 40 other moments that are hours of us just squatting uncomfortably in a corner somewhere without a tripod to get there. So stripping away that equipment sometimes meant, you know, <laughs> just being uh, in a weird position. I'm sure a lot of filmmakers know that that weird position where uh, you're just sort of stuck and uh, you don't want to move. And, uh, you know, obviously it's, uh, it's for a greater, greater purpose. Gosh, it has so many different narratives happening at the same time as you mentioned. It talks about her family, which is an amazing story, and breaking down these barriers and painting, you know, this picture of a Muslim family in America. Uh, it obviously talks about the, you know, the the international ruling journey. But I thought there was a lot to be said about, you know, adversity and what that prepares you for in life and how sports is. I think she learned a lot from her sports career. I think people can, and I wonder if you took some of that too. I think, yeah, man, it's it's interesting um, how something like middle school or high school sports can leave a lasting impact on somebody or an impression that even subconsciously will always sort of be there. Uh, we care so much about sports and art and the arts, you know, and uh, they end up playing a pivotal role throughout your life. For me, you know, it ended up being a different sport. It ended up being wrestling. And, uh, you know, a lot of those, those threads tie together and it continues with Bill Keith's story and even a newer way, because the adversity and the endurance and what she went through tie together with faith and spirituality. And, you know, it, it's, um, I, don't, I don't think there could be a, a harder test than saying, why don't you change the way you um, view and perform in a religion, how you interpret it, to, to sort of give up, right? and play the sport that is your life. You know, basketball, ball is life. She says it again and again, ball is life. You know, and it's true, especially basketball culture, you know. You know, it's Bill Keys and a lot of kids, and, you know, it becomes a way of life. It be becomes a, an identity. And then, you know, for a rule to, to come up to say, all you gotta do is just remove your hijab, you know. I, I couldn't imagine a harder test yeah, it, there was a lot of vulnerability, and, and I think it goes back to Bill Keys and her family on, on trust. And, uh, you know, we we feel lucky that we have the relationship with Abdul Qadir's. On a personal level, we feel like we're sort of extended family, and we definitely consider them our extended family. And so to allow filmmakers to come into the home and be around for years during, you know, some very vulnerable times where she was questioning things and sort of on her own path and, and being very uh, willing to allow us to record during those moments, uh, it says a lot about her. It was great hearing her story, but I loved seeing her family. It was just all the different moments that you used, whether it was just IHOP dinners or um, during Ramadan, and all these moments really painted this close, supportive, amazing family, particularly her father's story. So you must have had like a lot of footage of them. How difficult was it to pour through all that to create the story that would resonate as well. Did you have a ton of footage left on the cutting room floor, so to speak? One of the things I love in the film is uh, when she's starting to work with her basketball team. You know, th these are like middle school age girls uh, playing in a faith-based league down south. I'm not trying to really mold them into super athletes or super basketball players, but for them to just enjoy it and just teach them lessons just on and off the court through basketball. Before that, 
you know, she joined the program and, and she was working as um, an athletic director and coaching soccer, right? It's an international school, you know, soccer, you know, the international football is, is the main sport. So, you know, we filmed a whole season of, of soccer. We thought that was going to be the coaching moment. And, you know, all of that sort of went aside. The core family moments really, really stayed. And, you know, as we were kind of stripping things away, it became, I think, really apparent that, like, this is, this is the story. And you're right. Yeah, that was that was the story. It was it was definitely you guys piecing together. Yes, this is her life, but to actually get down and see how this is affecting her, how is her family supporting her? This is more than basketball. Me and John always kind of joke that each each person kind of had their own film. You know, Tariq uh, is an amazing person. You know, uh, Alua, um, Bill Keese's mother, also an incredible character. There's a lot of um, division. And I don't know if it would ever, you know, if it'll ever all go away, but you hope that there might be a day where it doesn't make any difference what your name is, what color you are, what you really believe in, your way of life, your, you know, your practice. It's acceptable, you know, and accepted. With Tariq, immediately he sort of offered up that he did some jail time, but we didn't know why, you know, relationship when it was appropriate and we were sitting down and we waited some of the family footage that you saw in the film. That's Tariq's footage. I was incarcerated in, in New York. Being locked up, you don't know when somebody's gonna go off. Or, so you have to take care of yourself. At that time, Ramadan had started. I did a couple of prayers with them and ate with them. And you know, like, I don't even think I was fasting. I knew about being Muslim, but I didn't know the details of it, what it was really about, what, how it would actually change your lifestyle. You know, I was looking for something to do, and I was hoping that it wasn't going to be drugs again. <laughs> you know? Tariq passed a CD after CD of all this footage and, you know, ended up in the film. Video, it, it's a way to hold on to history, to memories, to family moments, to you know, that inescapable thing, time, right? Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. How does a family that records themselves a lot, or you made it very clear to record themselves a lot, how were they upon seeing, I guess, the finished cut of the film? What was their reaction? Were you nervous when you sat down with them? What were they like during that process? Or did you show it to them along the way, kind of rough cuts or dailies, for lack of a better term? No, uh, we, we waited, you know, uh, there was a trailer that was out, you know, we actually put a trailer out relatively early, you know, when it was time to um, share the film, we had this great, great moment of kind of like we all do, maybe as filmmakers that maybe played around with video early on and, you know, you would make a film and you'd get the entire family together and you would sit you know, in the living room, TV room, and everyone would just sit and find a spot and watch, like, whatever you made. 
And uh, I, have, I definitely have a history of that. And I have a big family, so everyone's kind of like, you know, not, not everyone can make it on the couch. So people are laying on the floor and that kind of thing. And we had the same thing with Bill Keese. You know, we went to the Abdul Qadir home in Springfield, Massachusetts, and um, Bill Keese put out the word. And, you know, there might have been close to 20 of us in, uh, in the TV room. And I'll never forget it. And, uh, you know, I was laying on the carpet, watching the film, uh, a lot of laughter, you know, um, a lot of things that maybe people who don't know the Abdul Qadirs wouldn't laugh at, but there's just a lot of laughter, a lot of chat. And, uh, you know, I think we knew because of their relationship and, and how we crafted the film that they, they would be accepting of it. But uh, it was, it was a, a pretty amazing moment after when everyone sort of was thanking us. And I never thought of it as like a thank you. I was, you know, that's not why we were making the film, but there was a lot of thank yous. Um, and then, you know, we went on to, to screen the film at a lot of different events and film festivals. And we continued that same tradition where, you know, lots of family members would attend these festivals. Tariq and Alua would be part of the Q&A with Bill Keese and, and uh, John and myself. So it just continued that, that family element. I think there's a power in energies. I'm gonna follow my heart. Throughout all of these obstacles and choices that I had to make over the years, these were the things I was following. I'm gonna just continue to pray, continue to follow these signs. And I think that's something that, of course, is hard to do, just trusting in what people think is like blind faith, you know, having blind faith because you, we don't know the future. I'm big on thinking about things ahead and I don't wanna do that, you know, I don't wanna be present. Hello, Bill Keys. I'm Heather. It's so nice to speak with you. Hi, Heather. Thank you for having me. This is great. Hey, Bill Keys. It's Tim. Hey, nice Tim. to hear from you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Let me just start right off the bat because we've been talking to Tim and John a little bit. They were with you for four years. Did you get sick of them during the process? <laughs> no, I didn't get sick of them. Um, they became they they became my brothers throughout this whole process. So it was it was really nice. I gained two family members, honestly. Oh, that's amazing. How did you, how, like, what were you feeling when they, when these two guys came up to you and they were like, we want to film you? What were your thoughts, concerns? At that point, I was pretty much open to anything because the situation with FIBA wasn't really going anywhere. When they said they were interested in my story and, you know, making maybe just a two to three minute video or whatever their goal was, I was, I was pretty much like down for it. And uh, my father has, um, was really into homemade homemade videos. And so growing up, there was always a camera in my face. So I was I was comfortable with it. You know, it was ex- it was really exciting to just uh, hear that news from them. Speaking of your father, I have to tell you, Bill Case, your family just seems, they seem amazing. And they were by one of my favorite parts of the film. I did appreciate your story, but seeing your family and then were they excited to be in it? Were they nervous for you to be, you know, filmed and have your story really made public? How were they about this whole process? Oh, they they loved it as much as I did, especially my dad. Like I said, like he's a ham for the camera. So um, I'm sure he loved all the interviews. My mom was a little timid with the camera. She's not the type to really enjoy it. But of course, she was all for the film. I mean, we welcomed Tim and John in our home in the wee hours of the morning. And, you know, just in very intimate settings. And um, my family was really just uh, really excited. And we were all we just we, we really couldn't wait to see the finished product. 
and we were all we were all very pleased with it. They did a great job with keeping it original and raw, and you know, just honest. So that's good. So they were. I was wondering, were they nervous about seeing it? Were they excited? Did they love it? Were they like, why did you put that in there? Was any of that during it, or was it just like a celebration of you and your journey and just your amazing story? I mean, there was a it was a lot of mixed emotions, especially for myself, because it's really awkward to see you yourself on you know. Uh, on the big screen and then yeah. just to see myself, like I changed physically, mentally, emotionally throughout the whole film, you know, and I don't understand how they took four years, four years of footage and put it into an hour and what, a ha- hour and a half, I guess. So it was interesting to see how they chose certain parts of the journey and made it all fit together. So it was, it was really amazing. I really loved the scene when you talked about your shine. I don't know, but it just feels like I'm not, I don't have that shine in a way that I felt like I had when I played basketball. But it's a different kind of shine. But I guess, yeah, so I'm just kind of finding that way through what I'm doing now in speeches. You know, it's not the same shine, I guess. And I don't know, I guess I just miss it. Like, I'm at a point where it's like, man, I want to play basketball, you know? It was really remarkable how vulnerable you became and how you let them in. So were there times that you just felt like, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this, maybe these questions I should be keeping personal? Were there any of those kind of regrets or times that you wish that you would have maybe not shared? Actually, no. Um, And what I learned throughout just really uh, after becoming a public speaker and after doing thousands of interviews about this situation and then really dealing with Tim and John throughout the the filming of the documentary, one thing for sure, John asked some deep questions. And usually John is the, he's more, he's more, he's the quiet one. Tim is, you know, a little bit more, you know, just out in the open. John will have these like really deep eyes and these really deep questions. And he used to like hit me in my core Back to what I was saying, what I learned throughout this journey was I had to be vulnerable and I had to share my struggles because what I realized, like, in life, people need to relate and everybody is not living this picture-perfect life, you know? And I knew that if I shared my weaknesses and my struggles that maybe I could relate with somebody who may be going through the same thing or maybe going through something different, but we could, you know, something I said or felt could resonate with them. So, you know, I think life is about sharing our struggles and sharing our tests and our weaknesses so that we can connect and and learn from one another, you know? So um, I don't regret anything I said. I do understand that uh, people connect. And I think that's the most important part about this film is that people relate no matter if they're white, Christian, Catholic, Asian, whatever whatever the case is, people can actually take something from it. I know, that's what I got it for you for. And you have to read it and know what that means. What does it mean? That not to not try to like be someone else and to be yourself. Not to be like everybody else. Yeah. To be yourself. So you don't want to blend in. You want to be your own person. How did you feel about being almost a forced advocate, you know, because you just really wanted to play basketball and, you know, that's where your heart was. That's where you started off. And then this, this became something like, what was your internal struggle with that? I had to embrace it because 
there was nobody else that was going to do it. Like if I didn't speak up for the girls who looked like me, then who was going to do it? And I know that I needed to pave a way, pave a path for the girls who were going to come after me because I knew there were going to be more. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to work to, to get that rule out of the way. So if one of you guys right here, you ladies, decides to wear hijab and play like I did to become the second woman to play Muslim covered, who, who, isn't that awesome to be that? Right? You guys can break barriers, you guys can carry my legacy on. My job is to break down a barrier so you don't have to go through what I went through. I knew that I couldn't, like you said, I couldn't conform and I had to take a stand. And there were times where I wanted to quit. There were times where I was like, you know what? I wanted to take my scarf off. I wanted to play, but deep down, it didn't feel right. So I knew what I had to do. And at times the interviews and even sometimes with Tim and John, when I knew they were coming in town to, to do some filming, it was like, man, what am I doing this for? Because FIBA is not budging, you know? Like there was no motivation anymore. But um, when I spoke to young Muslim girls or girls, you know, who lived in poverty or just used basketball as a tool to navigate through life, when I spoke to them, I knew that they were the reason. You know, your journey is incredible when you hear the story, but I do want to, and I know you got to go soon, that very near the end of the film, we get to see kind of a culmination of your journey when you get to step back onto that basketball court after 1,400 <laughs> some days and then nail it, right? Just kill that court. What was that like to like step on and then that first basket and then obviously again and again and again to 38 points? Like, What was that like to finally be able to play on an overseas level wearing all the appropriate clothing you've always fought for? What was that moment like for you? Oh my goodness. Like You talking <laughs> about it gave me goosebumps just now. Um, I, I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that trip or that opportunity. And honestly, I almost had a nervous breakdown before the first game. Like I, I broke out in tears. I was looking at my husband and I was like, I, can I still play? <laughs> like that was the biggest question. Like, do I still have it? You know, and honestly, when you're when you love something and when you're when you when you put years and years of work into something like it's almost like riding a bike, you know, you'd never forget. And um, when I stepped on that court, I knew that I had to leave it all on the floor because that could have been my last time playing. You know, there was no telling. I, I wanted to leave it all on the floor and give it all I had because I had lost it before and I knew what that felt like. So I felt like I owed the game something and uh, that 38 points is, is, is what came out of it. But I'm not going to lie, my knees and my ankles <laughs> were like shot after the game. I couldn't even walk. It was crazy. There's <laughs> a giant ice bath waiting for you after that game, Seriously, right? You're like, oh, I this had is to. what it's like to play competitively. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of and your husband, we don't get to see him a lot in the film, but I know, um, are you in AW? Are you working together now? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now following that. Like what kind of, I know you work with a nonprofit and some other things. Tell us a little bit about that and what's like to work with your husband. Yeah, so uh, right now we are running a, well, we live in Canada. We moved to London, Ontario. And here we both work at an Islamic school. So he's a sixth grade teacher and I'm the athletic director. Oh, and then we run our own basketball program called Dribbling Down Barriers. And we really are catering to the Muslim community, but the doors are open for anyone. And what our goal is with that is to kind of bridge the gap 
between, you know, different faiths, different races, and use basketball as a tool to do that. And we've had some pretty successful programs so far. People love, you know, what, what we're trying to, the environment that we're trying to create. And it's cool just to see, you know, our fellow like Catholic or Christian players come in. And when it's time to break for our prayer, we'll pray with all the players and the, and the people who aren't Muslim get to watch and see and just learn, you know. And, you know, it's amazing to see what sport can do for people from different walks of life. I know you're traveling tomorrow, so I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. And thank you once again for sharing your wonderful story. Okay, thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. It's amazing. All right, have a good one. Excellent. I got one more quick question. I'm going to hijack real quick. Like if someone finds their own Bill Keith, someone finds their own muse and they feel like they need to make this documentary, what type of advice would you give you know, the young documentary filmmakers, we want to inspire people to get out there and record real life in a way that's true. And you guys did an excellent job during Life Without Basketball. What tips, advice would you give people looking to get into documentary filmmaking? So, I mean, it sounds a little obvious, but, you know, the, the difference between being a filmmaker or not is making a film, right? So a lot of times, a lot of times, uh, you know, if you're, if you're approaching a subject and it feels really, really important, it might seem kind of frightening, right? And you might not feel like you're fully prepared, but... Um, I think the reality is like you're, you're never actually fully prepared. So the most important thing is is just to start and begin the process and to take care and make sure that you're listening and and to leave space in your story for it to sort of develop. Let the shaping come afterwards and, and really just sit back and make sure that you're listening to the people that you're you're filming with and, and the people that you're living with. That's great. Excellent. Well, thank you both, Tim and John, for joining us. We really appreciate it, and as well as Bill Keys for joining us, for talking to them about their stories, getting deep behind it, sports. And it was just really, it was a really great movie. I wish you guys the best of luck. Yeah, I just, I absolutely enjoyed this film. Thank you so much for talking to us, for joining us. Yeah, no, this was great. Thank you so much for having us. Um, It's just, uh, it's always a a great time to just, you know, break from actually making films and talk about them. And uh, it was great just getting to chat here, Bill Keys, and chat about the film. And uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time. It's time to ball out. I'll see you all when I get back, inshallah, God willing. Again, thank you all, I love you all. Behind the Dock is produced by Evergreen Podcast in association with Gravitas Ventures. Special thanks to executive producers Nolan Gallagher and Michael D'Aloya. Produced by Sarah Wilgroup and audio engineer Eric Coltmau. And you'll find us everywhere and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. 
You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.